0: You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. the chasers of light, to the purveyors of pictures, to all of you listening from around the world, this is the F11 Photography Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Deal, notably absent once again, one Brandon Gorey. Don't worry, kids, Brandon will be back in studio for our next pod. He's just neck deep in projects. So I gave him a couple of pods off so he can get caught up on those. And uh, I'm just going to talk about things that I think are cool. And that's what I'm going to do today because the Fuji X Summit occurred yesterday. I'll tell a story about that and the announcement of the Fuji GFX 100 Mark II. But first, I want to talk about something that kind of pisses me off. Uh, there are people who solicit you. They end up uh, emailing you, and if you're a small business owner, or a photographer, you probably deal with this all the time. People go look around for uh, you know businesses, photography businesses, and they of course have some product they want to sell you, and then they end up in your your junk filter or whatever. But they they solicit you for things, and whatever that's the game you play. You're a small business owner, uh, you know that's that's what you're gonna encounter, but. Having a sales background, having a history in sales, uh, something that absolutely drives me crazy is over-aggressive salespeople. And of course, as you've heard in uh, recent episodes of when I bought my car, I can sniff these people out from a 1,000 miles away with my background. And so uh, there's a part of me that likes to toy with them because I'm kind of a, a sadist in that way. I like to mess with them. But uh, this guy like, emails me about some sort of marketing, video marketing to help improve my brand, yada, yada, yada. It's just garbage, right? It's something I'm not interested in, but he keeps emailing me. And just if you're in sales and you're listening to this, just a, a, a little bit of advice from Uncle Kevin, which is, don't do the email somebody and then two days later email and go, just checking back in or circling back around or hey, did you get my email? You sound desperate. You have what's called commission breath. And commission breath is somebody who sounds like they're desperate for a sale and not actually invested in you know helping out a client or whatever. So just don't try that method. Well, this guy totally was trying that method. And he actually took it a step further. And you know, as I get older, I'm seeing new techniques for sales come out. And so I want to stay fresh on them. So in this case, I saw this guy super aggressive with me. And in one of his emails, he actually, uh, input my website as thumbnails within videos, like embedded my, my website within these videos. And of course I I wanted to learn a little bit more about it. So I actually clicked on the video that he made, uh, with my, uh, with my website embedded in there. And of course, I immediately saw that, oh, this is just a template. He's speaking in generalities. He's like, I can help your website out now, I can help Kevin Deal Photography out. And he just kind of inserts pieces of my website in to make it look like he made this really beautiful presentation video that integrates my my website and helps me imagine myself using his product. Of course, uh, it wasn't anything I was interested in, but I was just like, oh, wow, okay, I'm seeing how these people are marketing now, and okay, now I have that knowledge, great. Well, not, but ten minutes later, I go into my inbox. He's like, "I see you. I see you clicked on the link to the video I sent." Now I'm pissed, uh, and so I just responded back and I said, "Dude, fuck you! Stop emailing me. Go away and stop contacting me." And another thing that uh, I, I I saw in his emails that stood out to me is he kept saying, "Oh, I see you follow such and such company on LinkedIn." Well, first of all, I didn't recognize the company he said I followed on LinkedIn, and secondly. I don't use LinkedIn. I haven't used LinkedIn in probably five or six years. And honestly, unless you're looking for a job, nobody uses LinkedIn. You see those people who are are super active on LinkedIn. They look like they're, you know... Uh, go-getters and industry leaders, they're not. They're people who are looking for their next job. And so they have to present themselves in such a way that, oh, look at me, I'm this industry leader, and I'm a go get type of person. And so that's their way of kind of casting a net to hopefully get a company to pull them in and give them a job because they're miserable at the job that they're currently at. Now, there are small exceptions to that rule. But in general, most people who are super active on LinkedIn are actively looking for a job. Speaking of jobs, a job that uh, is laborious to me is a color grading video. And that's why I want to talk about our sponsor, which is Gamut, gamut.io. Uh, Gamut makes LUTs. So if you are like me and you're a stills photographer, finding yourself making YouTube videos and you're like really foreign to color grading video, or maybe you're in a creative rut, go get yourself a LUT. Gamut is an industry leader. Uh, they have clients like Toyota, Leica. A lot of uh, industry professionals trust them with their LUTs, and LUTs are important, of course, because they give you a great starting point to get your color grading to look magical with video, and so uh, I highly recommend you go check out their LUTs. Uh, I believe your first purchase, you get 15% off. Uh, Check out my link in the description below. They make creative LUTs. They make uh, base LUTs, and they make LUTs for all the major camera manufacturers, so Sony, uh, Nikon, Canon, pretty much everybody, but Fuji, which is kind of a disappointment to me because I shoot on Fuji, but I mainly shoot video with Canon, so that's not that big of a deal. But it would be cool to see them get into the Fuji stuff. But go check out their go check out their uh, their their promo they're running right now, and uh, you know, tell them Kevin sent you. You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. I want to talk about the announcement that just came down, which is the Fuji. Uh, GFX 100 Mark II. So I had to go to Houston yesterday, and I had to get up super early to do it. Well, the the X Summit was actually being held in Stockholm, Sweden, and it started at 4:30 a.m. local time, which that's about when I had to get up. So I actually uh, logged into Paltatech, and if you're not familiar with Paltatech, Paltatech is an awesome YouTube personality. Uh, he had a live stream where he was just commenting on the Fuji live stream for the X Summit, and so. Ah, uh, PaldeTech, really great resource for anything Fuji-related. I've learned a lot about my own cameras from him. But uh, I thought, hey, I just have that running in the background while I drive to Houston from Austin. It's about a two, uh, sorry, a two and a half, three-hour drive. And so I had pal running in the background, uh, the Fuji X Summit was going, and I saw them announce the new GFX100 uh, Mark II. So what we're going to talk about in this episode today, there's kind of three categories. Uh, first of all, to set the scene, I actually made a YouTube video back at the beginning of this year in January, uh, where I said, hey, here's my wish list for the GFX100S Mark II, which had not yet been announced or even conceptualized, there was no rumors on it. But I just decided I wanted to make a video on it because as a GFX 100S Mark II owner who at that point had had it for over a year, I finally had uh, the ability to formulate opinions about this camera and come up with, in my opinion, some concrete requests that I wanted to see the camera adopt in its next version. And in the comments, users chimed in with, well, I want to see this, I want to see that. And so I compiled a list of things that I wanted Fuji and people who in the comments wanted to see Fuji implement in their next uh, version of the GFX and I have them, and I'm going to share them in this episode, and we're going to see how close Fuji got to that mark. It's basically three categories. There are things that we asked for that we got, things that we asked for that we didn't get, and things that we didn't know that we needed that Fuji decided that we needed that they gave us anyway, and so let's talk about those things right now. My GFX 100S. I love the camera. It takes amazing photos. And when I nail with it, everything looks like it uh, belongs in my portfolio. It's just a gorgeous camera. I've, I've, uh, hailed it and praised it ad nauseum on this pod. So I'm not going to go too in depth on that, but some of the shortcomings of it, the autofocus on it, not great. Uh, It overheated. I took it to some weddings and it overheated and uh, I couldn't even get to the bride walking down the aisle. And so I had to pull out my R5 and shoot uh, most of the wedding with that. I still took shots of the bride and groom and their portraits. And so that all worked out. Uh, I thought that the dual SD cards on the GFX were inadequate. If you go by the fastest SD cards in the world, they still don't handle 102 megapixel files very quickly, especially if you're shooting in drive mode or you have a model flow posing. So that's unfortunate. Um, They don't protect the sensor. It's a dust magnet. Uh, That was something that was on the list. Uh, We had no directional pad on the 100S. Uh, I wanted to see cameras add tracking, not like uh, tracking subjects, but like tracking in case the camera gets stolen. Higher frames per second, yada 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 yada. There's a lot of lot of things that we asked for. So, let's talk about what they gave us. They gave us a 102 megapixel sensor, but it's a new sensor, and it had to be a new sensor because, thankfully, they did improve the autofocus. And when I saw the X Summit. I saw the eye detect on it and it looked pretty darn good. They added tracking and tracking is important. Apparently the same algorithms coming out of the X H 2 the same algorithms coming out of the X T five as to whether or not it's actually in the real world going to uh, live up to that hype. It remains to be seen because the the lenses they showed you in the X Summit were all the new lenses, which probably have uh, new motors, uh, improved algorithms. I want to see how my sixty three two point eight, which is a pretty slow lens, I want to see how fast that is on the one hundred Mark II, and, and if it's if if that if that passes the test then this is a home run and on paper it does still look like an incredible improvement over the 100s so I'm going to say based off of what I've seen it's probably going to be a home run in terms of autofocus so I'm going to give that a check mark for being something that we asked for and that we got moving on to overheating the overheating was an issue as I mentioned at the wedding that I shot Uh, they did address the overheating because the Fuji X-H2 has a fan that you can attach to the back of it and that fan goes and it cools the camera down. Well, the fan, I think it's the same model works with the 100 Mark II. And so you can attach a fan to the back of your camera. Now, some of you might go, well, if I have to attach a fan to the back of my camera, is that actually a good design to begin with? Well, it's very rare that I ever get the overheating warning. It's just when I'm outdoors shooting in hundred plus degree weather. And the majority of the time I shoot on it, I don't get the warning. So. It is kind of a specialized situation, so I don't think it's unreasonable that Fuji has to make an accessory to address overheating for some of us, but maybe not over-engineer heat sinks and things like that that would add to the weight of the camera. So I'm okay with this. I'm giving them a check mark. They did address the overheating. The dual CF Express, that's what I wanted. I didn't get that. I got one CF Express in the A slot, and I got a SD in the B slot. So I'm going to give that half a check mark. In terms of speed, it looks like they've halved how fast it is. So that means that, you know, it's double the speed, right? That's awesome. And so it reads out twice as fast. That's going to be an improvement. Uh, But I do also wonder because they improved the frames per second from five to eight. Well, if you're almost doubling, it's actually like 60% faster. But if you're going from five frames to eight frames, and you're in drive mode, the the buffer, even though it's uh, twice as fast, you're taking almost twice as many pictures. So I don't know how that's going to work in the real world. If you're if you're out there shooting uh, fast, I don't know if it's going to uh, Look the same as it did. It's like, oh man, it's uh, you know, it's taking just as long as the old camera, but it really didn't because you took twice as many pictures because you had it in drive mode. Now, in situations where I'm shooting and I'm flow posing with a model, I'm shooting the model flow posing, uh, that I think it's gonna be good in that situation. So I'm giving it half a check mark. Other things that we asked for, uh, shaving off the weight, I think it's 900 grams on the 100S first, I think 949 on the 100 Mark II. So I find find that to be a wash because one of the things that people ask for is an improved EVF. Well, they gave us an improved EVF. They not only gave us an improved EVF, they made, according to Fuji, the best EVF they ever made in terms of resolution. And by the way, Borrowing from the GFX 100, they took the detachable eyepiece that moves up and down, uh, that allows you to articulate, that allows you to get shots that you can't get with the, the the screen on the 100s. They gave you all that, and so they're getting a check mark for upgrading the EVF. They took something off the $10,000 GFX and they are putting it on this new GFX. Now, let's talk about price. Did it go up in price or did it go down in price? Because it's not a new 100s, it's a new 100 and the old 100 was a large body it was $10,000 we will talk about the 100s which i have which is $6,000 but this new 100 mark II is $7,500 with the improved autofocus the fact that it addresses overheating the fact that it has ST, uh, the fact that it has cf express cards the fact that it has the detachable eyepiece that borrows from the $10,000 one i don't think $7,500 is unreasonable another advantage of it and it kind of looks like it's a hybrid between a 100s and a 100 The problem with the 100 is you are forced to have the really large body. Well, I like slim bodies a lot of the time. I don't want a battery grip a lot of the time. And so having that option to have the smaller form factor is appealing to me. That's why I love the 100S. You get to choose if you want to have a battery grip or not with this, and that's awesome. And so if you have a job where you need the battery grip, you can go out and buy the $500 battery grip. And you're probably thinking, well, if it's a $500 battery grip, it probably doesn't have the file transfer, the wireless fire, file transferring or the wireless tethering built into it because it's only $500. And when you go look at the XH2's battery grip that does a wireless transfer, that was $1,000. Well... Great news. You don't need the battery grip to do the wireless file transfer because Fuji finally understood that if they're going to get this frame.io technology to take off, they can't rely on people to spend $1,000 on a freaking uh, battery grip. And by the way, the, the the results are in. Fuji clearly isn't selling a lot of those XH2XH2S battery grips because they had to drop the price from $1,000 all the way to five ninety nine. dollars they took $400 off that on rebate because they're probably not moving a lot of them. And the good news about the 100 Mark II is that they actually put that wireless uh, file transfer technology in the camera itself. If they're going to have this wireless file transfer technology take off, they're going to have to start putting it standard in the cameras. People are not going to spend $1,000 on an accessory to hope that this new protocol takes off, that this whole new system takes off. And so giving fuji props for being smart enough to put that on this camera please put that on all your cameras moving forward that technology uh and then maybe we'll we'll take advantage of this new frame.io technology hey this is vanessa joy and you're listening to the f11 photography podcast one thing i want to talk about if you look at this release uh if you look at it with a fifty thousand foot view okay uh, fuji was really trying to be more inclusive in this release because the power of the GFX sensor, I mean, it can do so many types of photography well in terms of image quality, but it lacked in so many other areas. And the big area it lacked was speed. They improved the the frames per second. They improved the buffer size. Obviously, they improved the autofocus. They have tracking now for wildlife, for planes, automobiles, etc. And of course, that was a commitment to wildlife photographers. That was a commitment to sports photographers, but that still falls a bit short because you still have to have the lenses. And so we're gonna talk about the lenses here in a bit. Fuji did commit to lenses and that's great, but we're gonna talk about the biggest surprise that Fuji kind of forced us on. But we're gonna talk about the biggest surprise that Fuji kind of forced on us. The thing we didn't know that we needed uh, for a lot of people, Fuji is going all in on video. Uh, personally, I didn't buy my GFX for the video capabilities. I've only used my GFX for video once because I had a, a shot where I had to do like four cameras and I just needed an extra camera and I was like, well, my Fuji GFX does a 4K video. So I'll just have that be my my other shot, my, my, my fourth shot. And it did a great job, by the way. It looked really beautiful. I applied the film simulations to the shot. It looked gorgeous. But uh, that's not why people buy GFX cameras. Now, Fuji is rolling the dice saying that that's not true. You're going to do it now, buddy. And so uh, they decided that they're going to make it 8K, 30 frames per second. Uh, they're going to allow you to record to an SSD card externally with the, um, with the USB-C. They're doing ProRes. Uh, they have an anamorphic mode. They have a Promista mode. 35 millimeter formats. They've improved the, the stops of Ibis from six stops to eight stops uh, with the new screen. Things are going to look a little nicer. Uh, they're really going all in on video. And you know, when I see anamorphic, it's like, well, they don't make any anamorphic lenses. Does that mean they're going to make anamorphic lenses? We'll see. But. One of the things that's big on the GFX uh, system is that people like to attach third-party lenses to it. I myself have done reviews about attaching Hasselblad lenses, Mamiya lenses, and all that. And so since a lot of cinema lenses are manual focus anyway and you've got a focus pull, it definitely lends itself well to using cinema lenses because the Fuji GFX, like I said, people love using third-party lenses on it to begin with. And so uh, it looks like it's compatible with the Fujinon cinema lenses any cinema lenses you want to attach to it, you can. Uh, obviously the weird thing about it is you're not shooting medium format video. You can't cover the whole sensor because video formats don't cover the whole sensor. They're 16 by nine or they're anamorphic. And so there's going to be bars on the top bars on the bottom, but they're going all in on it. And, uh, Kudos to them. I actually hope that they, they do well with it. And they even have uh, stereoscopes, things like that, that are, are going to allow you to uh, monitor your video better. Which, like I said, congratulations to Fuji. Uh, hopefully, five years from now, we look back and Fuji it has a bigger slice of the pie in the video world. Do I think that Sony, Canon, Blackmagic, and Red users are going to flock over to, to Fuji? I'm skeptical, to be honest. I don't think that this is going to pan out if you ask me to be a betting man about it. Uh, But hey, I hope I'm wrong because I want competition. It helps the industry out. But uh, personally, I'm shooting Canon for most of my video, and I have no intentions to switch over to Fuji for that, uh, except for my X-H2 sometimes. So, But I I wish them the best of luck in that, and I hope it it pans out because it does look like uh, lower noise and stuff like that that you're going to be able to... uh, take advantage of certain things of the sensor that may improve video, but there's no guarantees. Let's talk about the lenses. So Fuji introduced a 55 millimeter 1.7. It looks like it has uh, more blades to give smoother bouquet 55 millimeters. That's right between your 45 and your 63. So it's nestled right there in between your storytelling and your normal field of view. And of course that also gives you over a stop of depth of field and light, uh, collection. So, 1.7 versus the 45, which is a 2.8, and the 63, which is a 2.8. So 1.7 is significantly brighter. And for what I've seen in the examples, it works incredibly well with the new autofocus system, but it remains to be seen if the older lenses work as well with the new autofocus system. Now, for architectural photographers, for landscape photographers, uh, for, for product photographers, Fuji has finally announced that they're making tilt-shift lenses. They're making a 30mm and a 110mm macro tilt-shift lens. They're respectively 4,000 for the 30 and... 3500 for the 110. And now before you go, holy shit, that's super expensive. That's how much tilt shift lenses cost. And when you look at these tilt shift lenses, uh, obviously they're, they have to go on a larger sensor. So there's more glass being used, there's more metal being used. And so when you go look at Nikon and Canon tilt shift lenses and compare the prices of those to the Fuji, these are pretty much right in line with what you'd expect. I think that this is going to be incredible for attracting new types of photographers into the GFX ecosystem. Speaking of the GFX ecosystem and attracting photographers, I talked about frames per second and buffer readouts attracting wildlife photographers and sports photographers, but the one way Fuji has abandoned those people is in lens choices. Up until now, I think 250 millimeters was the longest you could get. Fuji announced that they're going to make a 500 millimeter f5.6 that they're going to release in 2024, which is a commitment to both wildlife and sports photographers alike. So awesome on them to do that. Uh, I can't wait to see uh, how much that lens is gonna be and how much it's gonna weigh, but I'm excited uh, for those types of photographers as to whether or not it attracts those types of photographers, it remains to be seen. One other comment I wanna make on the video side of things is that uh, Fuji also announced that they're going to make a dedicated video zoom lens, which I can't wait to see how that works. Apparently it's gonna be all mechanically driven. I don't know if that means that they're gonna have like a focus pulling system built into it or what. Uh, We'll have to wait and see. It's probably not going to be cheap, but maybe something that kind of got lost with all the other announcements is that they are going to uh, put out these two new lenses in 2024. Uh, Other things to talk about, slightly longer battery life. So uh, I don't know what the shot count is, but they said it's improved battery life. A 30% increase in dynamic range, that's super appealing. I can't wait to see what's up with that. Uh, full-size HDMI ports. Thank you for getting with the times, Fuji. You guys did that on my XH2, the XH2S, and I believe the XT5 all have full HDMI ports. Uh, I think also the X- XS20 does. And good job. I can't wait to see Canon uh, finally get with the times and stop using 2010 uh, HDMI ports. Like Seriously, put full-size HDMI ports on there if you're a damn professional. Uh, the battery grip I mentioned is 499 Uh, If you need it, you need it. If you don't, you don't. Uh, It has a three-way tilt screen. One of my biggest complaints about the old tilt screen on my uh, 100S is if I want to do a vertical shot where I get super low to the ground, the only way I can actually see my shot is if I put my face to the ground. There's no way to articulate the screen to where I can actually see the shot unless I hold my head sideways. And it just, it doesn't help. And this new screen, they finally addressed that problem. Thank you for on an effing uh, si- you know, $7,500 camera, figuring that out. Good job. Uh prop- Props, seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. But the other thing I want to talk about, the Riala film simulation. That's a big deal. It looks like it's kind of a softer vibe. Uh, maybe it's kind of a compliment to a less hard version of uh, classic negative. Uh, but I can't wait to see how that turns out. Uh, if Fuji, if you're listening, I really hope you guys put uh, Riala on an update with the X-H2. I'm definitely not holding my breath. Uh, I bet you guys aren't going to do it. But uh, if you are listening, please, pretty please do it. This is Katrina Brown, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. So, let's talk about the things that they didn't put on this camera, things that I asked for that they didn't give us. They didn't put a directional pad on it, but you know what? That's not a problem. And here's why. Instead of putting a directional pad on the back where you use your thumb, they actually put uh, three buttons right next to the shutter release. And so you can just move your finger back, like an eighth of an inch, and you have three buttons right there. So I actually think that's an improvement over the directional pad. Now, if you absolutely needed the four buttons, you're down to three buttons. So it may be a downgrade for some of you. But for me, I don't actually use all four buttons, I only use three. So for me, this is a perfect upgrade. I consider this an upgrade. And so uh, I'm going to give them a check mark for that. Awesome job. Um, one thing they didn't give us is sensor protection. Uh, all Canon cameras over the price of $1,500. When you turn the camera off, There's a protection, there's a protective window that goes down over the sensor. And so if you're changing a lens, you don't have to like take the camera and face it down and do all that best practices stuff where you face, face the camera down, change the lens and, and attach the new lens. And by the way, even if you do best practices, dust can still kick up and hit your sensor. And the Fuji GFX sensor is massive and it's basically a dust magnet. It's the sensor I have to clean about once every other week. It's a pain in the ass. And if there was ever a camera that needed this feature, it's the Fuji GFX line. And for whatever reason, Fuji decided, no, nope, we're still going to charge you $7,500, but the sensor's just going to be all out there in the open. When you change your lens, everybody's going to see it. It's super massive. 33 by 44 centimeters. It's just uh, actually millimeters. Sorry. It'd be huge if it was centimeters. But uh, yeah, 33 by 44 millimeters. That's a big ass sensor. And why Fuji decided not to address that glaring issue is beyond me. I think all camera manufacturers need to have technology to protect those sensors, but uh, they didn't do it. And so that goes under the things that we asked for that we didn't get. Um, another thing that is an annoyance to me is the one one twenty fifth sync speed with the flash. That sucks. I know it's probably a limitation of physics, but it's still a massive disappointment. And I know if they went to a leaf shutter that could help address the problem. Uh, You can get faster with leaf shutters, but one 125th is too slow. And I'm gonna explain why. I shoot in the studio, I have sets. uh, I have to have my fluorescent lights on in my set so people can walk around and not run into those gigantic stands that break your ankles. It's a safety thing. And I I have to take that safety measure and leave those lights on. Well, if I leave those lights on, I can't open up my aperture too much or have my shutter speed be too slow because if I do, then those fluorescents will start bleeding into my image and impacting my white balance in a negative way. And so I don't want that to happen. And the way I combat that is I shoot at faster shutter speeds and I like to shoot at F8 usually, but sometimes I like to open up to F2.8 or F2 because I want that fast focus fall off on the, on the, on the ears or on the, uh, the hair. I don't get that with this update. It's still one, 125 I wish Fuji had put as much effort into the sync speed of the flash as they did upgrading all the video features. So let's get to the question of the day. Am I going to upgrade this camera? Well, at this point in time, my answer is maybe, and if I do, it'll probably be at least six to 12 months down the road. And the reason why is because, yes, the autofocus does look amazing, and maybe if it does get to the point of where the autofocus is as good as something, say, like my R5, okay, then maybe I will upgrade a little sooner. But I don't think in practice it's going to be as good. I think it's going to be maybe a little not, I think it's going to be a little under maybe an X-H2. As far as how good it does. And so I really can't say that uh, that alone is going to get me to upgrade. All the other stuff is cool. The f- simulations cool. I don't care about the video features. I shoot stills. I mainly shoot commercial work on my Canon, but I do shoot some commercial work on my GFX. Uh, however, I mainly shoot personal work on it. And so, you know, it's not... It's not something that I feel like I need to upgrade right away. Something that I could upgrade faster is maybe if they came out with a 50 megapixel version of it and it was $3,000 less and it had all the exact same features. It was just a downgrade in megapixels. That may actually get me off uh, off the couch a little sooner to get it but I'm not sure if I want to upgrade at this point in time. If I were starting fresh from scratch and I decided that, um, hey, I want to get into the GFX system, I think this is a no-brainer. I think if you're on the fence and you're wondering if you should get into it, this is the time to get into it. But for those of us who bought a year ago, two years ago, I'm not sure if it's quite worth the upgrade. If it were my primary body for commercial work, yes, I would do the upgrade, uh, but it's for personal work. And so just things to consider. Uh, I don't know if this uh, if this recording is going to help you, if this pod is going to help you uh, with your decision process. I just kind of wanted to think about whether or not this is going to be uh, worth it. Uh, something else, though, that I want to talk about is I, I do think that the grip looks cool on it. The finish on it looks better, which is good because on my 100S, I baby that camera and I'm already seeing like in the corners, the paint is starting to to, to wear off a little bit, which is kind of disappointing. I, th- I kind of feel like that's cheap and I paid $6,000. So I also think that's bullshit. I think that Fuji should have spent more money um, making a better body. It makes me also question how uh, weather sealed it actually is. But uh, other things that I, I just I just thought about capture one, Fuji is going all in on Capture One support. Uh, They talked about Capture One all over the X Summit. I don't think they mentioned Lightroom once. So it looks like they're in bed with Capture One. And since that's my raw editor, I'm definitely on board with that. Can't wait to see how the implementation works with my uh, laptop, with my iPad, and maybe even my iPhone. But being able to shoot while wirelessly tethered in-body to my iPad is kind of appealing. And like I said, I'm not going to rule out getting it in the next year, but I do have to book quite a few jobs to pay for it. So um, that does it for today's episode. I thank each and every one of you who uh, listened to this episode. Obviously, if you're, if you're still listening, you're probably interested in this camera. Whether or not you should get it, I have absolutely no idea. I can't really tell you. But thank you for listening to the pod. Uh, If I could ask you, if you are on Spotify, Apple, give us a five-star rating. It increases our visibility and helps the pod grow. And, of course, that allows us to uh, make more content for all of you. And it it allows us to stick around in the future. Brandon will be here next time. Check us out at F11pod.com. And until next time, chase light and not algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.